the Sunday school answer, Jesus. We all know that we should say, I live for Jesus. But is that the reality in your life? Do you really live for Jesus? Now we all know that we should live for Jesus, but if, if I ask the, the question another way, how do you spend most of your discretionary time? The, the, the times that you're not required to be doing something in your daily life, what, what then are you doing? What then are you thinking about? Now some people are consumed by work. They work their required time, and then they, they work many hours beyond that required time. And then people live for their work. They live for, for their jobs or, or the, the advance of their careers. Some people live for their families. Their focus in life is on spending time with their family. With, with, with investing in their spouse or their children or their, their, their grandchildren or their parents. Others spend their time relaxing, watching TV, going to movies, browsing the internet, or others spend their time on hobbies or sports. And for many that focus on these things, even when they're not actually doing those things, their thoughts are consumed with those things. But focusing on those things, whether it's your, your work or, or your family or your leisure time, is not necessarily wrong in and of itself. But none of those things were ever meant to be an end in and of themselves. They're all meant to point to something greater. Your work is meant to point to God, to His glory, in the way that, that you serve in your work as a, as a vocation, as a calling, to be able to use the gifts and abilities that God has given you to be able to glorify His name in the workplace. To be able to, to do your job excellently for the glory of God. To be able to conduct yourselves in your interpersonal relationships in the workplace for the glory of God. Likewise, your family is not meant to be an end in and of itself. Your family is meant to be a sphere and an avenue whereby you can glorify God in your relationships. As, as your marriage reflects the gospel, as, as you bring up your children in, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, as you honor your parents as unto the Lord. Your relationships within your family are meant to be an avenue in order for you to live for the glory of God. Likewise, your, your leisure time, whether it's, it's even watching TV or, or movies or, or sports or, or whatever it is you, you, you like to do in your, in your spare time, is, is meant to be an avenue whereby you can glorify God. As we talked about with, with the, the kids, as, as you, if you're engaged in sports, as you praise God that, that, that He has given you bones and muscles and sinews and a brain that, that, that well, for some are more coordinated than others, but, but a, a, a brain that, that brings it all together so that you can perform a, a function. Have you ever thought about what goes, goes into just raising your arm to throw a ball? 
the, the mechanics of what's involved in that, for, for some of us, we, we do it in second nature. But God is meant to be glorified. If it's, if it's a hobby, the same skill that, that you use in order to perform whatever function it is, is, is meant to be used to glorify God. And, and quite often those, those hobbies that you have can be used to, to build relationships with others whereby you can, can influence others for the glory of God. So let me see what I'm saying here. That, that whatever it is that you do, it is all to be for the glory of God. Now in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul has a, a specific context in mind, but there's a, a universal application in our lives here as well this morning. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So I think we would all agree here that, that we are to live for the glory of God. I want to return to my initial question. Do you? Do you live for the glory of God? How often do you think, I want to glorify you, God, in this situation, or this endeavor, or this relationship? You know, I do see that desire in many of you here. I, I do see people in this church, and really it's, it's, it's an amazing gift of God's providence to the extent that you do this, but when I see some of you here in the midst of trials, say, God, I want to glorify you in, in the midst of this trial. I, I see it, it here in, in many of you in your relationships with unbelieving family members saying, I, I want to be a witness for Christ with my unbelieving parents or, or my, my unbelieving neighbors. I see us all, to, to, well, most of us to a degree, seeking to do that. But the reality is that, that none of us, None of us live for the glory of God as, as God's Word calls us to. That none of us live for the glory of God as, as in a way worthy of the glory of God. Because the, the, the glory of God is, is infinitely beyond us. It's infinitely above us. If you could do it at all, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. But, but even if you had a, a thousand lifetimes, you would never grow to the point of being able to give God the glory as He deserves to be glorified. Even in eternity, when, when you are freed from the shackles of your physical life, you will have, have all of eternity to, to grow in the knowledge of God and to grow in your ability to glorify God. But, but even all of eternity will not be enough for you to be able to worship God as you are called to in His Word. But as we begin this, this study on the attributes of God, as we begin here with its introduction, looking at the, at the glory of God, we're, we're being given the privilege to be able to, to begin to do something that, that we are going to be able to do for all eternity, to, to grow in something, so that, that we will, will be able to be, be, be raised out of the, the mundane day-to-day -day life issues. 
raised out of the, the, the trials and temptations that we, that we face. We'll be able to, to grow to, to, to live for something that is beyond us. To grow in our ability to glorify God. A.W. Tozer said that the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think about God. The most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. Well, if we're not really thinking much about God, then we're really not living up to to, to what we're called to. We're living for something that is far less important. The first question of the Baptist Catechism is, who is the first and best of beings? And the answer is, God is the first and best of beings. And since God is the first and most important being, the second question follows logically. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. C.H. Spurgeon said that the most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and Him crucified. And the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity, nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as the devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. So if God is the first and most important being, and our first and most important task is to glorify Him, then thoughts that are not about the glory of God are at best, second best. And often they are vain, idolatrous, rebellious. But again, by God's grace, we can grow in our spiritual maturity so that our thoughts can be filled increasingly with the glory of God. So that the day-to-day -day things we do in the course of our natural lives, like work and family and leisure time, can begin to take their proper place as opportunity, opportunities for us to appreciate and to reflect on God's glory. But in order to live for the glory of God, you need to know who God is. You need to know what God is like. I don't know how many times I've had a conversation with someone about God only to have them say, my God is not like that. You ever had one of those conversations when you, you've described one of the attributes of God from His Word and someone has replied to you, my God's not like that. Well, really quite often, what they're speaking is actually the truth. That their God is not like that because their God is not the God of the Bible. Their God is the God of their own imagination. They've made God in their image. And so the Lord will say to them as He does to those in Psalm 50, 21, These things you have done and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. If you want to live for the glory of God, you need to know who He is. You need to know what He is like. You need to know His character. 
For the next two months, Lord willing, we're going to be studying the glory of God. Uh, of course, every time we study God's Word, we're studying the glories of God. But, but over this, this next couple months, in this series, we're going to be specifically focused on His glory as we study His attributes. We're going to be basing our study on the Baptist Catechism's answer to the question, what is God? So it's the same question that, that is in the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. In answer to the question, what is God? The response is, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So we're going to see what God's Word says about God's attributes. This brings me to a couple of preliminary points. First of all, if you've been at this church for any length of time, you, you know that, that our regular diet is expository preaching. That, that every, every week, for the most part, I, I seek to take a passage of Scripture and to understand it in its original context to explain it and then apply it in our context today. That's, that's our, our regular diet here in this church. But I, I have done, I've been here seven years and I've only done a few topical series. A topical sermon is, is a sermon where a topic drives the, the, the sermon rather than a text, a specific text of scripture. I did a series on what it means to be a member of the local church. I did another on the spiritual gifts, and, and I did one on the attributes of God. And, and that series on the attributes of God was five years ago. It was my favorite topical series to date. And so we thought that, that the study of the attributes of God would be something that would be good, uh, and it, it, it's time for us to revisit. So my prayer is that, that we'll all grow through this series. It will all grow in our ability to live for the glory of God as we systematically consider God's attributes. It's my plan that, that, that this will take us through to the end of September and then we'll begin our, our study on what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6, 9 to 15. So we're going to be spending nine weeks here on the attributes of God. And again, this first week is, is on the glory of God. And, and then we're going to look at the infinity and eternality of God. The immutability of God, that God never changes the wisdom of God, and that includes his, his omniscience, that he sees all things, that he knows all things from, the, from the, the beginning to the end. The power of God, this is the omnipotence, the sovereignty of God, that he is sovereign over, over all things. As, as Abraham Kuyper once said, that there's not one rebel molecule in the entire universe. That God is sovereign over everything. The, the holiness of God, his, his complete and utter separation from sinners and, and everything apart from himself. He is set apart for himself. The, the justice of God, as we, we consider the, the, that God is, is just to, to save and to, to redeem the elect, and, and that he is also just to punish the wicked. The goodness of God, that, that, that everything that He does is, is good and, and is, is, is loving. And, and finally, the, the truthfulness of God, that, there, that there, in Him there is, there is no lie, there is nothing that is, is untrue. It's testified throughout in, in, his, in his Holy Word. And so our discussion of, of the glory of God this week really serves as an introduction for the rest of this series. And each of these attributes will see our God's glory. 
that each, each of these attributes that, that we're going to describe are, are, are elements of, of God's glory. In the Old Testament, the, the word that is translated glory refers to, to heaviness or weightiness. You know, in the, in the 60s, the, the hippies would say, oh, wow, that's heavy. Well, well, well there, is, there is nothing heavier or, or weightier than the study of the glory of God. And that we're going to be engaged in this for, for the next two months. Stephen Charnock, who, who wrote in that, that excellent book, The Existence and Attributes of God, he said, the first ground of the worship we render to God is the infinite excellency of His nature, which is not only one attribute, but results from all. For God as God is the object of worship. The notion of God consists not in thinking Him wise, good, and just, but all those infinitely beyond any conception. And hence it follows that God is an object infinitely to be loved and honored. And I'm speaking of things that are, are infinitely beyond me. I'm speaking of things that are, are infinitely beyond us all. J.I. Packer wrote in his introduction to the, the book Knowing God that he felt like, like a clown aspiring to play Hamlet, an attempt to, to deal with an explanation of the glory of God. Well, J.I. Packer is a clown, I'm not sure what I am. I feel like someone who's aspiring to be a clown, who's aspiring to play Hamlet. You cannot consider or discuss, let alone teach the glory of God without being humbled. When you begin to see how big and how great God is, you cannot help but see how small you are. In 1 Corinthians 2, when the Apostle Paul spoke of being the aroma of Christ, the aroma of life to those who are being saved, and the aroma of death to those who are perishing, he responded, he responded who is sufficient for these things. Who is sufficient to proclaim the glories of God? Not I. But even though Paul was aware of his weakness, he was also aware of God's power. Even as Paul acknowledged his own insufficiency, he was relying on God's sufficiency. He went on in 1 Corinthians 3, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And he went on. Now, the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of His Spirit have even more glory? When I read earlier from Exodus 33 and 34 of, of the way that, that Moses appeared before the Lord but was not able to see His glory, as He was given the, the, the second giving of the law after, after Moses had, had, first, um, had broken the original tablets, that, that when Moses came down from that mountain, the Israelites could not bear to look at his face because his face shone. Because he had been in the presence of the glory of God and he had only seen the, the hind parts of the glory of God. He, he could not have been exposed to the full glory of God and lived. It's my prayer that as we study these things, 
that our face, our faces will shine with the glory of God. This is not through, through anything that's in me. This is through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the hearts of believers. He is the one who is powerful. He is the one who is able to make us understand. He is the one who is able to transform us through the study of his attributes. A.W. Pink said that God makes use of means and instruments to accomplish his ends, yet not from a deficiency of power, but oftentimes more, to more strikingly display his power through the feebleness of the instrument. So I stand before you as a feeble instrument. You also are a feeble instrument, unable to do those things apart from the work of God in your heart. But if you really want to grow in your ability to live for the glory of God, and that is, even the desire is a work of the Holy Spirit, if that is the desire of your heart, then I am confident that this sermon series will help you through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm confident that God's Word will achieve the ends for which God purposes. I'm confident that God's Word will do its thing in the lives of Christians. I'm confident that God's Holy Spirit will guide you into His truth. I'm confident that He will sanctify you in His truth. I'm confident that you will grow in your worship. And I'm not just talking about your singing here. The kids defined worship well for us. Puritans, again, Puritan Stephen Charnock said in the, in the existence and attributes of God, he defines worship as follows. Worship is an act of the understanding, applying itself to the knowledge and excellency of God and actual thoughts of His majesty, recognizing Him as the supreme Lord and governor of the world, which is natural knowledge, beholding the glory of His attributes in the Redeemer, which is evangelical knowledge. It is also an act of the will, whereby the soul adores and reverences the majesty, is ravished with His amiableness, embraces His goodness, and enters itself into intimate communion with this most lovely object, and pitches all of its affections upon Him. Beloved, when your thoughts are consumed with the glory of God, you will live life for the glory of God. Again, when we're speaking of, of the things, of, of the attributes of God, we are speaking of things that are incomprehensible to mere mortals. A.W. Pink again said that the incomprehensibility of the divine nature should teach us humility, caution, and reverence. And to that I would add dependence, thankfulness, wonder, awe. God is incomprehensible, yet His incomprehensibility should drive us to the study of Him. To the study of who He is, not to drive us from it. When I was in high school, I found calculus to be incomprehensible. But not because it was beyond me, but because as an irresponsible unbeliever, I didn't do my homework. Anything, anything that, that, that a human being puts their mind to in this realm is, is not incomprehensible if you work at it. But the glory of 
glory of God, even as something that, that, we, that we submit to as, as being under our knowledge, causes us to, to want to know more. When, when you get a taste of the glory of God, you want to know more of who He is. It just, it whets your appetite. It's something for, for, for which you'll never be completely satisfied. Jonathan Edwards, in his resolutions, resolved to, to know God as best as he could in this life. Is that something that you want? Do you want to know God? Do you want to glorify God as best you can in this life? Well, if you're determined to get nothing out of this study, if you're determined not to grow in your, in your ability to glorify God, then I have some recommendations for you. In fact, if you, if you don't want to grow in your ability to, to live life for the glory of, of God, in, in, whether it's from this sermon or from any sermon, then follow any of these recommendations. Come to church unrested. Stay up late at night watching TV or, 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 or playing video games or surfing the internet. And you won't grow. Come to church unspiritual. Without spending time focusing on, on, on who God is through the week. And, and you won't grow. Come to church unprepared. Unprepared with, by, by not praying, not studying God's word. But by not seeing Sunday morning as the most important time of the week. Come to church with unrepentant sin. With issues that have not been resolved between you and God and you will not grow. Come to church with unresolved anger. Those issues from the, from the previous week or an argument with your spouse or, or something that's gone back for years. If you come to church without those things dealt with, you will not grow. Come to church uninvolved. Determined to have, have nothing to do with, with, with anything that goes on in the church apart from what happens here from, from 10 o'clock to 11.30. You won't grow. Come to church unholy. Living as, as, a, as a worldly, living as, as a life that's, that's not set apart for God and you will not grow. Come to church unhumbled. Come to church with, without understanding are before this holy God, without, with, with spiritual pride, thinking that you've arrived, with any form of pride. Stephen Charnock said that there's nothing so dangerous as spiritual pride. He said it deprives devils and men of the presence of God that will hinder us from the influence of God. He said God lifts up the humble. When we are humbled from our carnal frames in one duty, we shall find ourselves by the grace of God more elevated to the next. Come to church unsubmissive. Unsubmissive to God, unsubmissive to His Word, and, and determined not to, to live your life under God's Word. Come to church unsaved. The Holy Spirit is not at work in your life through, through saving grace, but by the knowledge of the Gospel, and acceptance of the Gospel, and repentance, and, and, and faith, then you will not be changed. Do you presume to offer dead worship? the living God. If you do, then, then do any of those things. But if you want to grow in the ability to glorify God, you will turn away from them. 
You will turn away from anything that hinders you from an understanding and from an ability to worship God. Now again, we will never understand God as He fully is, even in all of, of eternity. We will, we will still fail to, to understand perfectly. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul said, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been known. So there will come a time when we will see Christ face to face. And if you want to, to live for the glory of God now, you will live for the glory of God in the desire, in the fervent, fervent desire of that moment when you will stand before your Savior. When you, you'll know Him even as you are known. And that doesn't mean that it's exhaustive knowledge. Again, that's going to take all of eternity. But living for that moment will change your life today. The pursuit of the knowledge of the glory of God will be one of your greatest joys. And that is the task that is before us this morning. That is the task that is really before us as Christians for the rest of our lives. If you want to understand to the best of your ability by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't be like me in calculus class. You have to do your homework. This is not just let go and let God. When it comes to our salvation, it is, it is monergistic. God alone achieves everything for your salvation. But when it comes to your sanctification, it is synergistic. God works and you work. We both work together in the power of the Holy Spirit, yes, but we work together for the glory of God in our lives. We must do our homework. We must read the textbook. We must read God's holy scriptures with an eye to viewing the glory of God. The, God, the Bible is God's self-revelation. It is what He has given to us in order to see and to apprehend His glory. But this is not mere intellectual knowledge. This is, is intellectual knowledge that moves into heart knowledge. This is not about writing or passing a theological exam about the attributes of God. This is about having a life that has been changed by an apprehension of the glory of God so that you will live for the glory of God. You cannot know God apart from His divine revelation of Himself and the power of His Holy Spirit. Again, if you really want to know Him, you must go to His Word because the Bible is abounding with the glory of God. But there is nowhere in God's Word where you can see the glory of God better than in the face of Christ. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.6 He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature. In Hebrews 1.3 And there is nowhere that you can see Christ better than in the Gospel. So if you understand that the Bible lifts up the glory of God, and the Bible points to Christ. And, and that the, the crux of your understanding of who Christ is comes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then where the high point is the cross. And is that the cross? This is the, this is the high point of our study. 
It is, it is at the cross where we most gloriously see the attributes of God. We're going to see His, his infinity, His eternality, His immutability, His holiness, His wisdom, His goodness, His mercy, His love, His justice, His, his omnipotence, His omnipresence. We're going to see all of these things at the cross. And all of our study is going to point to the cross of Christ. This is my first Sunday back from, from my holidays. And I've shared with a, a, a couple here that I, I really didn't come back from my holidays refreshed. Refreshed emotionally or, or physically or, or spiritually or mentally. But you know where I found refreshment? In beginning to study who God is through His Word. I feel like I'm, I'm getting glimpses of this. This is something that, that, that I want us all to see. I want us all to bask in the glory of who God is. This is was where we get true refreshment. Spurgeon said, would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go, plunge yourself into the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in His immensity. You shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. It is, Spurgeon wrote that as an introduction to his sermon from, from Malachi. And he said, it is, it is to that subject that I invite you this morning. It is to that subject that I invite you through this series. Again, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, his face shone as he'd been talking with God. Would our faces shine because we were talking about God? Let's pray today.